Hello, Moneda Moves listeners. It's your host, Leanne. You can consider that your custom ASMR to launch the new year because in 2021, that's what we want and need more of, more financial security and building wealth. And today, we're speaking with a founder in the Latino community who does just that. Enter founder of personal finance platform, My Money, My Future, Ramona Ortega. In almost everything that I've done, I've taken some risk. I know that my community works really hard, but we weren't seeing the benefit of that work. We're allowing the technology to give them the opportunity to take action immediately. That was an excerpt from her story with We Are Mithu. We're going to speak with Ramona, who was named one of the most notable women in financial advice by Crane's New York business. We'll discuss her journey to being the first in her family to secure wealth, to securities attorney, to founding her own company to help underserved millennials create a roadmap to generating wealth. Let's get into it. about the concept behind the platform and who it serves. Absolutely. So um, I spent many, many years um, before becoming a securities attorney doing international human rights work and policy work. And I was focused on uh, measures to close the racial wealth gap. I don't think it's surprising to anyone at this point, and especially given BLM and social unrest, that we have a serious problem with um, economic inequality in this country. And that leads to many um, disparate outcomes that we want to resolve. And I thought about what I bring to the table in terms of that past experience and then my current experience with deep understanding of capital markets. And I looked around at FinTech in 2016 and 2017 um, and said, okay, who in the market is really focused on the demographic that I think is the only growth market and the numbers back this in the US, which is that a really emerging first mover multicultural millennial market. And what I found was that there are very few. <laughs> so I said, look, I love some of these platforms that were emerging back then and things like LearnVest and Betterman had just got started. But to be honest, none of them spoke to my own cultural background. None, none of those platforms was really targeting um, my experience. And I thought there was a a need to do that, to bring really quality financial advice to the masses, but particularly to communities of color. I, and I think it's very important that you talk about who you are um, in being a founder, because it, your identity is way more than a founder. Now, yeah. you come from a family of farm workers. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your story and how you became involved in the finance world to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Grew up in Northern California. Um, I am the daughter of farm workers, um, later blue collar workers, but grew up in a very, in a community that was very working class, right? Poor to working class is what I call it. And yet in the context of that, um, I think that, you know, education was always first and foremost. It was, that was kind of the golden ticket out. And I think for a lot of Latino families, that's still the message is that get education and you're going to get out and you're going to do better than us. Um, but I also, because I'm not uh, an immigrant and I actually, it's interesting because we, my family has been in California for three generations. 
um, at between Texas and California. So we, you know, we are that first generation though to go to college. And I think that says something to how, you know, inundated our communities are in terms of not having access, right? That whole, you're not having access to opportunity. And so when I started thinking about what I wanted to do, even with the company, it is absolutely um, sort of communities of color, but also first movers. And we've been talking a lot about this and it's people who are first in their families to go to college, first in their families to get a, you know, a, a corporate job, first in their families to buy a home. These are all really significant um, data points in terms of how do we build wealth in this country? How do we get our fair share? And I think, you know, one of the things that I learned very early on that money was really important, not only to just, you know, sort of the climbing the, the economic um, ladder, but also about self-determination. My grandmother was in relationships, you know, where she was um, a victim of domestic violence. And she always used to tell me, Miha, you always have to have money under your mattress in case you need to leave. Like you have to be ready to, you know, protect yourself. And financial security is a huge part of that self-determination. And so I think early on, those messages were very clear. Always have a job always have money in your pocket um, and focus on that. And I think even, even though I didn't get that kind of information at home, and you probably heard this quote of mine, if you don't learn about money at home, you don't learn about it at school, then you end up learning by making tons of financial mistakes. And it's exactly what happened to me. And so by the time that I had, you know, um, gone through my career, I look back and said, man, if somebody would have told me what I can tell a 20 year old now, I would be in a very different place. You know, I went to UCLA on my own, didn't really know anything about financial aid, didn't understand how that all worked. I got myself some great jobs. I originally wanted to go into journalism. I worked with LA Weekly, ended up being in New York and doing international human rights work. And it was in that time period when I was working in Geneva, actually, when I realized that we have to be part of that financial solutions. We couldn't just be bringing problems to people and, and then having basically white men on the other side who held the, um, the purse strings. We actually had to be just as smart from a financial perspective. And that's when I decided to go to law school and focus specifically on, on capital markets. Um, and then, you know, I spent time in bankruptcy at the, um, with one of the chief judges in bankruptcy at the time. So worked on a lot of restructurings and then went to the SEC and asset management, right as Dodd-Frank was rolling out. And that was super important because it gave me an open book um, and a 360 on the life cycle of companies, right? You get listed, you are you know, regulated under the SEC. If you fail, you go into mm -hmm. bankruptcy, it's all open book and you learn a lot. And then did securities litigation. Um, so I think that was, that trajectory, I think what, what stayed the same, I would always talk about the regression line, is that my passion for economic security and opportunity. I want people in this country to really have that as a human right. We deserve that. We give so much to this, this country, both as immigrants and Latinos and African-American communities. And we have been redlined out of opportunity, not just in housing, but in many opportunities. And that's what we're trying to solve for. And so I think, I think it's fascinating, too, that you got a view of money, not just personally, as you said, by making mistakes and learning more about the 
the financial system and your personal finance, but also taking this holistic view at what it looks like on Wall Street. You were a Wall Street attorney, and, and that's so it, that's an incredible achievement, first of all. But also, as you said, you 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 wonder, right? What if the twenty-year-old me knew about all of this, knew about the way the world worked, um, not only at the micro but the macro level? So, mm-hmm. at this point, you're a Wall Street attorney. What was the impetus to then become an entrepreneur? What was the kind of turning point beyond it uh, being more than a wish and more of a a decision? This is what I'm going to do. So it started with conversations with colleagues from um, in a group called Cafecito of uh, Latina um, lawyers in New York City. Um, and by the way, um, uh, there was there's so many really amazing women that were part of that group. So I just think credit to these kinds of groups that come up that support women, right? Um, and I had a conversation with people and I said, oh, what were you doing with your money? How are you managing your portfolios? And I kind of overall the, was like, well, I kind of know about that or somebody else takes care of that. It was a sense of like, I don't know much about that. And I was like, wow, these are the top Latina lawyers in the country. They are corporate lawyers. I know they're smart enough. I know that they want to know about this stuff, but it didn't seem like there was, there was somewhat of a confidence gap. And then also like, that this isn't our world. And I thought, how crazy is that? It is our money. We're working really hard. In fact, we work twice as hard because of the wage gap, right? And we work twice as hard and yet we're not kind of managing our own money and our own wealth. And no one, if we're not doing that, no one else is going to do that for us. And I thought I seen an opportunity to um, have a newsletter. That was actually the original idea. It's like, I'm gonna have a newsletter. It's gonna be focused on, on money for kind of the professional Latina. And that I was kind of working on as I was still um, in my career. And then we had a partnership with the city of Los Angeles where we did a financial boot camp. 200 women came out, it was really amazing. But a full day of talking about money. And I realized that at that moment, this is bigger than just a newsletter, that people wanted access to more information. They wanted to be shown how to do this stuff. Don't just tell me I need it tell me how to do it. And that's what was missing in the market. So, you know, again, FinTech um, unbundled the bank and gave us a bunch of products that are great. You have robo-advisors, neo-banking, et cetera. But none of those products tell you exactly how to use them. It just makes them easier to access. And so that's when I really struck a chord was like, okay, there is a missing element in the market and there's a huge market. And, you know, researcher, the lawyer in me was like, okay, let me kind of figure this all out. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of money to be made. If LearnVest at that point had raised $90 million and I was like, okay, I can work the rest of my life as a lawyer and make decent money and have financial security, or I can go take a risk and bet on myself and bet that the market needs this and that, you know, there's a real opportunity here and go build something. And I thought, if not me, whom? And if somebody else had did it, I would be very upset because I was like, I wait, I've been thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> so I think it was just a matter of like saying to myself, like, if, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do this. And again, you know, I've not, I've spent my whole life's work around this issue. I know it better than most people that I know. I mean, just, it's just a matter of time. And so, um, I think that was it. It was like cost benefit analysis too. I was like, there's a lot more money mm-hmm. to be made in doing well than just for me staying in Wall Street and being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a much more holistic approach. I like how you you say that you 
um, took an approach as an entrepreneur as you would a lawyer. You said you did all this research. Um, I, I do think that there's a difference, right, between being an expert in a field and then deciding, okay, I'm going to turn and run a business around it. And so I think your insight would be really beneficial for other people. Uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, what were some of your biggest learnings in the last half decade? One that you never stop learning. Okay. I think that you have to be humble enough to know that you never got it. It's you, and people talk about product market fit all the time, but I'm going to be honest, most people don't have it. And they, what they have, it maybe is a lot of capital to feel like they have product market fit. So they can mm -hmm. buy a lot of customers and be like, oh, people like this. But true product market fit is this. If you took the product away, would people go crazy? Would essentially be like, oh my God, I can't live without this, right? Mm -hmm. Think about Lyft and Uber now right? They've created literally product market fit because I think so many people would be like, don't take it away. Please don't take it away. So right? product market fit is turning your product into a necessity in someone else's life. It's more than not nice to have. It's a must have. Right. I mean, look, to be honest, if Instagram went away tomorrow, would I die? No. I'd be like, oh, okay. I'm sure someone else would build something else. I mean, it's, it, you know, did, does anybody say that I need a Twitter or that I need a TikTok? Is it popular? Yes. If it goes away, by the way, there's been tons of other ones. What happened, what happened to Snapchat, right? Like, so, and, and so, so there's, I, I think it's really important for people to, to know the difference, right? You can raise a lot of money and put a lot of money in the market and get a brand name. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have a product market fit. And so, and um, we definitely don't yet. And, but I think that if you are in the long game, which I think a lot of women and a lot of people of color as entrepreneurs, we have to play the long game because we don't get access to the short game. We don't get access to like, oh, I have an idea. Let's write it on the back of a napkin and someone's going to give you a million dollars. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Barely. You need proof and of concept. So, we do well the bar is so much higher for us i mean i can't even tell you that's a whole other podcast how hard it is to be raising money as a woman of color in silicon valley okay i mean the data already says that right but just personally so the bar is so much higher for us to do this than anyone else and so what we have to do is is that we are really centered on trying to find product market fit, trying to find revenue and building stronger businesses as we go, which means you have to be learning and being able to pivot. You have to love the problem, not the, not the solution. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? Mm. That's because a really good way to phrase it. Yes, I am dedicated to solving this problem. I know that the platform might not be the right solution, might be something else. And again, that's why we're talking about a pivot on our platform. It, again, essentially the same thing, solving for the same problem in a different way, and that's okay. Yeah, no, and, and I like that you address the fact that you're not um, platform reliant. Uh, that is like in a, a platform outside of your own. I guess that poses the question though, if you're not, um, if you're not betting or investing most in, in, in brand recognition, where are you in brand recognition on other platforms? I should say, where are you putting all of your investment then? Like where is most of your uh, time spent as you work on figuring out the problem, the, the solutions to the problems that my money, my future looks to address. Right. It's iteration. Um, it's looking at, um, the opportunities with new technology. So in the time that I've been in this space, for example, I have seen an insane amount of growth in API integrations, 
Okay. So, and what does that mean? It allows us now then to, to shortcut into all kinds of things, banking, aggregation, um, platform distribution. And so in some ways it has made our job easier, right? So there's like, oh shit, I wanted to build this marketplace where people can get the education and the products. By the way, now that's even more possible than to do than ever because of API integrations. So what you're learning all the time is what are people doing? Where are they getting their um, the solution, right? So if we say people are looking for financial advisors and really know where to turn, where are they turning? I can tell you right now, they're learning it on podcasts, on magazines, on bloggers, on YouTube, on Clubhouse, okay? So, oh, okay, we need to be super highly focused on content and content partnerships. If we're not going to create all of the content, then we need to focus on deep partnerships, right? We need to think about embeddable finance so that we're embedded in platforms that are not necessarily our own, right? Thinking about white labeling. We've done a little bit of white labeling and sold some of our, our um, white label stuff to universities already. So you think very creatively about how to do distribution. And then from a low hanging fruit is sort of like, how do you just build brand, right? And I think that's why it, you know, sometimes it feels like a distraction doing so much, um, you know, whether it's interviews or podcasts or partnerships or talks, but that is a low hanging fruit in terms of brand building that mm -hmm. most people don't have. So where maybe another company has a lot of money, but they spend no time in brand. So what they're going to go do is spend all their dollars in user acquisition, and paid user acquisition because nobody knows who they are, right? You don't have any face behind this product. We've decided that we're going to invest a lot in actually creating a brand with a face to it. And because of that, there's other things that come along, right? So I'm working on a book right now. Like I'm working on some partnerships that are much more like sort of brand oriented. And I think that's really important. And that, that came about in some ways because you have to bootstrap, you have to figure out what is it that I can do without you know, and, and, and what can I not do? If I don't have, you know, $3 million sitting in the bank to do some of the things that I need to do from a platform technology standpoint, okay, what is it that I can do? Because otherwise you're just going to give up and you're like, okay, I have no money. I'm, I'm going to close shop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, the thinking creatively, I am sure is a huge part of it. And, and the, you also, the other good point you bring up is embedding yourself in these environments. It's very crucial if you're going to provide solutions that are not just going to live on your platform, but live on other platforms as well that people already visit and therefore get those users, get that following and recognition. Um, right. when, when people think about entrepreneurship at a very fundamental level, I think one of the first things that they think about are pitches. How do you pitch? I'd like to know um, how critical that has been for you as a founder to perfect that pitch and how you best prepare for actual um, pitches that pitch competitions or, or formal pitches that you have. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's something I've learned a lot about and I've also learned some of the fallacies that we perpetuate in the market <laughs> um, because I've been in it long enough. Um, so look, there's, I think there's also confusion about what kind of business you're building. There's a lot of, you can, we use the word um, startup very freely. You can start up a company and you can be a consulting company. You can be a product, you sell something. You can be a coach, you can be a influencer. You can be, right, there's lots of different businesses you can create. 
And then there, and then there's a sort of like what we call the kind of old school business. Like you have a restaurant, you have a place, right? So you go in and there's different ways that you capitalize that. Then there's tech entrepreneurship, which means you're going after venture capital for super growth, high growth. You eventually will sell your company. That's how investors get paid, right? So there's lots of ways to do startups. The one that I've committed to is the kind that says, I'm going to raise a, a significant amount of capital and then sell this company for a significant amount of capital. The reason being is that there's so few of us that are doing that because it is such a small network of people who get access to that. And the fact is that if we don't, if we're not playing in that game, we will not reap the benefits, which is when you sell a company for $250,000, that means you're gonna get a windfall you know, hopefully if you played your cards right, of anywhere from 15 to $20 million. That is significant in terms of building wealth for our communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that you can't do that in other businesses. There are plenty of brick and mortar type businesses that are worth millions of dollars. But I, I think it's really important because that goes back to this sort of pitch and the, the I would say the mechanics of venture capital right? When you're building a venture capital business, um, which is, is there IP behind it, right? Is there something mm -hmm. special about your IP? Is there something special about the brand? Is there a different approach to the market? Is it scalable? Huge, right? Is the market big enough? There's all kinds of things that go into that. Then it's like, okay, how do I get access to venture capitalist angels to um, write checks, right? Write big checks. And that's in and of itself is its own thing. And that's where the pitching comes in, right? You can go to pitch con uh, conferences or competitions. You can get some um, money that way. We did that early on. And nowadays I don't do that as much because I do think it takes a lot of time away from things that you could be doing um, to get money. I don't want to say easier money, but it takes a lot of time to prepare for those things and to be in there. And I think it's really important early on because it, you, you, um, you learn a lot. Around I'm, I'm it, sure right? it also helps you finesse your story and figure out what that is. I, I am curious. I am curious um, in terms of deciding what that story was going to look like. Did it change at all in the process of your pitching early on? And how did you determine what that story was going to look like? Absolutely. Um, it's fundamentally, it's always been the same, which is how do you digitize financial advice and get it to the masses, right? Because that's a scalability, right? It's mm -hmm, market's mm -hmm. huge. We can make money in a very specific way. So our, our essentially our business model has not changed. Um, and, but the story, I think, and it also changes depending on who you're talking to. I mean, and that's one thing that was really clear. We would say, for example, early on, it was like, we were focused on the Latino market and we kind of had to pivot that because the minute you say Latino in like VC, they're like, oh, the unbanked. I'm like, no, not the unbanked, right? I mean, this is how, I hate to say it, racist it is. That's like the minute you decide that you're going to focus on the Latino market, it's automatically an assumption that you're focused on the unbanked, not the $2 trillion market for all kinds of things. But, oh, you're, you know, or you're a nonprofit. Literally, it, it, it's very revealing about, about the lens through which they're looking oh, yeah. at you as a, as a founder. That's right. Wow. And remember, they're not seeing a lot of folks. Now there's more. I mean, but essentially early on, they weren't seeing a lot of folks, nor were they seeing products that were focused on this market. I think that's more important is that they don't know this market at all because 
none of the other founders early on and any of the successful founder quote unquote successful founders have focused on this market they'll say millennials okay i ask which ones the narrative is the dominant perspective right and so we've had to pivot and be a lot more inclusive so we talk about now first movers people who are like didn't have access to financial services sort of overlooked and underserved if they want to be of color you know if, if that's the the where they want to think about it, they can if not and it really depends who we're talking to but i think it was really important and we're still working on this i mean i literally just had a conversation with someone today about maybe we should pivot the pitch to be you know just focus on the google maps for money or maybe it should be um you know weight watchers for your money right because people don't they don't they won't give you time to give them that kind of education so we spent a lot of time in early pitches trying to describe who our core customer is and how big the market was the bottom line is they just don't want to hear it they don't like if they don't know if they're not familiar with like the multicultural millennial market they're like why is that why do you need that why do multiculturals needs um, millennials need a different money experience now, Ramona, you you beat me to the to the punchline on on the next question that I had for you, which is about upcoming products and just how my money, my future is 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 shifting and and offering um, more products for people to be able to take handle of their money and first movers, as you call the demographic. You talked about the Google Maps for money. So in 2021, talk to me about what this Maps for Money looks like and other areas of focus for these underserved communities. Yeah, absolutely. This is the exciting part. I mean, I, I, and I wish this is what I wish I had more time to do instead of wasting my time trying to like raise money is actually to build <laughs> because I'm a builder. Right. And, and so we had done um, a survey with a number of our users. Um, and we realized that like people love the idea. They liked me. They like, they were like, I love what you guys are doing. They get to the platform. They're like, Oh, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I, it seems a little bit like hard to find stuff. And that's, and that's the thing you have to always listen to your users. And we know that. And so we were like, okay, what can we do? And the bottom line is that you need money for developers, right? So part of this is like, you can be as good as you want. Um, and that's a lot of it's going to be based on your your capital spend. So we spent some time thinking through what at the end of the day is really important. What where where's that massive pain point for our users, right? So one of them was I don't know where to start, right? I I know I need to do something, or I let's say I want to invest. We get a lot of questions about investment. So somewhere in a in a simple realm that would just be like oh you can do x y and z da, 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 and i can give you tons of options but essentially a good financial advisor or a good financial advisor is going to say okay where you are investment can take two strategies do you want to invest in your 401k or do you, are you talking about you want a brokerage account right you want to actually buy stocks those are two different things and they have two different implications for your finances and you should have both by the way but let's take that one at a time and so when we think about that it's it just like google maps you put in your your where you currently are where are you right okay i have a 401k i have a brokerage account but i'm not doing anything with them okay now i know where you are i also you put in the address right where you want to go i want to become an investor and want to have x y and z okay now i know where you want to go as a financial advisor, I can go back and be like, okay, here's the directions. 
Oh, mm. do this or right here, turn left here, input this, input that. And I want it to be that simple for someone, right? And so when we thought about thinking through like automated, you know, um, it's essentially kind of decision trees and, and chatbots mm -hmm. and AI mm -hmm. and what we could do there um, to really make that a simpler process. And that's what we're uh, going to be launching is essentially the, the um, Google Maps for your money, right? And walking people through each of those decisions. It's not going to be as smart as I want it to be early on. You know, you need a lot of the AI stuff is going to need to seep in there as we raise more capital, we can build on that. And that's, again, not that much different than what we have. It's just a better interface. At the end of the day, almost all technology is just a better interface. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, and, and a lot of it a lot of it does fall on the better user experience. I, I mean, I, this year, I think we've learned a, a lot about, um, especially if you're like me a little bit in the social field, you've learned a lot about the, the, the power of, of just user interface and how, how great that can be, right? Especially with a service like yours, where it's all about the user. A, a mm -hmm. map certainly seems to make sense. And it seems like a, a really exciting opportunity for anyone who's anywhere along their journey. Um, to, to kind of dive in and, and see where they want to go next. With Weight Watchers, I think what they also do a really good job at, and we want to replicate is also the, the community building. So they use their, their users to create content, to give that sort of narrative as ambassadorship, right? People who do Weight Watchers and do well, they're like all over their website. They're like, I lost this much weight. I lost this much weight. This is how I did it. Same thing with money. People that pay down mm -hmm. debt are the biggest bloggers. Oh, I paid off this much money. I paid off because people want to know how you did it. The mm -hmm. problem with just paying attention to that is that it's different for everyone. People who, you know, and I can, I do get a little frustrated with that, right? It's like, you can't just share your experience and assume that everyone's going to be doing that. There's a lot of factors. Do you have a good job? Do you have credit? Do you live at home? Do you have children? Do you have taking care of other people? Do you have a 401k? I mean, there's so many variations or variables that would impact whether you can do that in the same way. Doesn't mean that you can't do it. You probably can, but your plan is going to look slightly different. There's no silver bullet. And I think that that's kind of the premise of this platform, right? It's the premise that there are groups of people that are currently not spoken to by these finan big financial institutions. And so that is the goal of this platform. I do like the approach that you are thinking about this map and thinking about this kind of uh, menu that people can take a look at and make it simple for people. They just want easy directions to ask is not that big. I mean, it is when you sit down and think about it, it's a big ask, yeah, yeah. but, but it's, it's, it's a very, it's a simple ask. It's like, how, how do I do it? I just want to know. We've seen this a lot with uh, investing literacy, right? Um, there's so many platforms wanting to get in on this. I mean, you have Webull, you have uh, Robinhood to a certain degree, I, trying to make it easy. But again, that poses the question. It's like, who is it, who is it truly speaking to? And I think having feeling like you're spoken to definitely, um, I, is, is very powerful. Um, like you said, it, it, it does come back uh, threefold and, and even more so in, in terms of returns of ambassadors and brand loyalty. So that's definitely a, a promising concept there. 
Ramona, thank you so much for being so uh, candid about your experiences with My Money, My Future. And I'm so excited to see uh, in, in the new year what direction it takes, that the new offerings that you'll have on the website. I do have one final question for you. And that's if, if you take a look at your relationship with money, <laughs> when you first em embarked your, your finance career journey to now, how has your understanding of money changed? I used to think that it was very complicated, that it's kind of like, this is not our space. It was really like visceral, like, oh, that's not our space. Like white men control money. They're the ones that you go to for financial advice. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's still in a lot of ways that it's inundated in our culture. And now I believe that, um, I think it's, that people need to feel empowered around their money. Like it is more important now. And that, I think that's what's changed is like, it's my money and I'm not going to feel shame around it. Even if I'm broke, like I understand the system in which we are managing our money. Credit cards, for example, that's not meant for you to pay down your debt. The idea is they make money off your interest, right? Mm. 401ks were meant for people who were rich to lower their tax bills, right? So all these systems were not really meant for us to actually prosper within them. It was meant for certain groups and companies to be able to make a lot of money from them. And I think that understanding has completely changed my perspective, which is, and even more so, the more you know, I want people to be smart with their money, not just like, oh, I know how to budget. No, 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 no. I want you to know how the system works because when you do, you're going to make better, more informed decisions about all of the things that you're doing, right? And I think that's the key thing is, and also focusing on the net worth. Um, that money is not just about, oh, I want to be rich and be bling and, you know, I've got $10 million. My, none of that. It, it's not that. It, it's a means to an end and everybody has a different end. For you, it might look very different than it does for, you know, a family of three in Idaho, right? I mean, it's just, it's different. And I think that once we understand the system and understand how all of those pieces work together. It's like a chess game. Then you're able to say, okay, this is how I want money to play a role in my life. And that's what's really changed because I think before, especially when you grow up poor, you're just like, I need money and I need more money. <laughs> how how like, can I build the wealth? How can I get enough money to store underneath the bed? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And now it's a little, it, the, that vision is much more expansive. Yeah. No. That's, that's a great note to end on, Ramona. Ramona, thanks so much again for being with us here on Moneda Moves, and we'll keep tracking your journey. My money, my future. Thanks so much.